Hello, welcome to the New River Church Podcast. We're so pleased to have you join us today. We hope that today's message uplifts and inspires you. If you would like to learn some more about New River Church and what we're all about, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. super excited to share this with you this morning. Um, You know when the Lord lays something on your heart and then he takes forever to bring it around? Uh, This is one of those things. Um, Julie Brennan and I started praying about this probably about a year ago, Um, and it's been a long year, but it's been really cool. It's been stretching, growing, and waiting not so patiently. So I'm excited to share with you this morning about Freedom Prayer. Um, Freedom Prayer is a personal prayer ministry that exists to help with the process of recognizing and resolving anything that would keep us from a deep and abiding relationship with God. Like first aid, Freedom Prayer is a first responder ministry focused on fundamental emotional and spiritual needs that hinder individuals in their Christian walk, such as sin, wounding, and false beliefs about themselves, God, and others. Sometimes the results of these patterns and strongholds are small, but have a large impact over time. Some issues are big and cause continued um, and profound struggles. Freedom Prayer is a safe and confidential time of prayer with a few trained team members who are devoted to praying with and for those who are seeking freedom. It's a biblical-based ministry Uh, which has been proven effective in bringing about reconciliation and restoration. It's dependent on the Lord's leading and his heart for a deep relationship with his children. It's designed to teach you how you personally hear from the Lord and how he speaks to you. Um, Before I get further into it, I want to share with you my first experience with Freedom Prayer, and I'm going to try really hard not to cry, so be prepared. Um, my husband, Chris, I got to give you a little bit of backstory first. Um, my husband, Chris, and I were missionaries in New Hampshire for five years. Um, we were, we served for one year and then the Lord sent us back to Connecticut for three years and then sent us back up for four years. Um, we served at a Christ-centered long-term care facility for those that were struggling with drugs and alcohol and other harmful habitual behaviors. Chris was um, the men's program administrator, so he was over all of the men's program, the short-term staff, which we called mentors, and the residents. And I had the great honor and privilege of walking the female residents through inner healing, and it was my absolute favorite time. There is just something beautiful about the way the Lord meets the broken. He's so tender and gentle. Um, We lived together in community. It was a 360-acre working farm, so we worked together, we ate together, we we played together, like we did life together. This is one of those, like, in the trenches, you are, like, in it with everybody. You know everything about each other. Um, It's kind of, I don't want to, I don't want to minimize the military, but it's like, it's that, like, going through battle together deepness of of relationship. Uh, But we got to have fun, too. Um, one of my favorite things was to have the residents over and like, you know, they, they lived in dorms. So it was, it was really fun to just give them a piece of home and just have them over and we'd have tea and we'd have spa nights and, and do fun things with the women. Well, he would do it with the men, but I would do it with women. Um, 
And one of my favorite things was to take them on visits. So depending on where they were in the program, um, they were able to take like an afternoon off and we could go shopping and we could go out to lunch and like do like normal things, like feel like you're living a normal life. Um, and so we, uh, one, this one particular Saturday, I was able to take one of the women on a visit and I'll call her Michelle. Um, Michelle was a mother of three. Um, she had, her struggle was with alcohol and she had experienced some trauma that she was trying to recover from. And so she had left, uh, she had come into the program, signed on for a year and had left her three children with her ex-husband to go through this process of healing with us. And we spent the day doing the fun things. You know, we went to lunch, we did all the girly shopping and all that stuff. And um, then we were at Hannaford's, which is a grocery store up there. And we're in the like healthy-ish section because that's what we do. Um, and she's looking at like, you know, chips and snacks and stuff to bring back to the dorm. And she said, uh, Carrie, can I ask you a question? And I was like, of course. Um, she said, does the staff here drink? And I've had, I was, I was used to deep probing questions from the residents because that's just, that's just the way it is. Like you share your life, they share theirs. Uh, but I wasn't prepared for this question. And so I told her, I said, I can tell you that my household does not. I said, but I, I can't speak for the rest of the staff. I don't, I don't know. Um, and I said, why, you know, why are you even bringing this up? Why did you ask? And she said, well, I was taking the trash out and I found beer cans in the recycling bin. And I was like, okay. I said, well, I do know like a couple of the men that will like, you know, for lack of a better word, enjoy an IPA like as kind of a culinary experience, like it's a thing. And she said, no, this is the crap beer that you get drunk on. And there were two bags of it. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> so needless to say, I spent the rest of the, of the visit trying to encourage her to stay in the program. But it wasn't just about her, but it was about her kids. And just trying to encourage her. And so I got home and I was fuming. I was so, I was so angry. And I talked to Chris and then he was angry. <laughs> and so at the very next staff meeting, um, Chris presented what Michelle had shared because he is far more eloquent with this kind of thing than I am. And I was way too pissed, to be honest. Like, it, was no, it would not have been wise for me to speak. Um, and so he shared um, what she had shared and, and our concern with, um, with the impact. You know, we're ministering to people that are struggling with this. It's not okay to go home and toss back a few beers. Like, it doesn't work in ministry. You can only bring someone as far as you've come yourself. And what chance do these residents have if we have staff that are struggling with this? Like, not just for the residents, but for the staff themselves. Like, there's freedom that needs to take place. And um, it was not received as we had expected it would be from the people that we thought we knew so well. Um, there was some laughing. There was some joking about ragers. And so Chris and I left that meeting very, um, very discouraged, very angry still, and very confused. And so Chris the next day sent out an email like, kind of explaining, like, we're a little confused about the response here. Like, this is, this is not a lighthearted thing. This is a very serious issue. Um, he shared again his concern about, you know, had, he had gone through the program himself and, like, how discouraged, like, if that had happened to him, where would we be at this point in time? Like, see, the, where's the hope in it if the staff hasn't conquered what the residents are coming to conquer? 
Um, after that, he did, he did receive a couple of apologies. A couple of res people responded with apologies, and then a lot of people just didn't respond at all. And after that, we found ourselves spending less and less time with the staff, and not by our choice. Um, we would hear about parties or get-togethers, and they would say, well, we were going to we were going to invite you, but there was going to be alcohol, and we knew you wouldn't come. It's like, well, it's valid, but um, but we weren't there to serve the, the staff. So we were there to serve the residents. And so we poured our lives into the, the short-term staff, the mentors, and the residents, and the God still did amazing things. Um, when our service came, came to an end, we packed up the truck, took us all day, and out of the 60-ish, it was the the numbers were always fluctuating there, but of the about 60-ish staff that were there, we had four that came and said goodbye to us. There were two that were long-term staff, and there are two that were mentors that came with like all their residents in tow, their entire work crew, um, and they were residents that we had poured into. And so when we left, we felt really rejected and betrayed, and I felt like I had failed. I had failed the residents because I couldn't get through the staff. Um, we spent the next few years healing and recovering and processing and try to moving, trying to move on. And then fast forward to a little bit, a little bit more than a year ago, um, we found ourselves again in a position where we had to stand up for the truth. And I said, Lord, I can't do this again. It's too much. Um, I felt stuck and I felt like I couldn't pray and I wasn't sure if I would, like, I knew what the truth was, but I was like, am I really here? Like, do I really have to do this again? Um, and I had known about Freedom Prayer because the church that Chris and I attended before the Lord sent us here to New River has a team, and a lot of my friends were on that team, and so I signed up for it, um, and when it came time for my session, um, they explained kind of, you know, what to expect, what it kind of looks like, and then they said, you know, what is it that you're here for, and I said, well, you know, I just, I feel stuck, like there's something I just can't move forward, I feel stuck. And you know, praying is hard for me, and that's not normal. And um, I just, I'm not sure if I'm hearing clearly from the Lord. And they said, all right, let's ask him about it. And so we did. And immediately he told me, you have spent all this time processing and trying to make all of that make sense in your head, but you never actually forgave them. And so I spent the next two, almost two hours forgiving and canceling debts and releasing judgment of every face that the Lord brought to my mind. And the beauty, the beauty of doing this in community is that as I'm sitting here doing business with the Lord, the women that were praying for me were seeing this pattern of lies that were spoken over me that I had come to believe. I lost my notes, but I can tell you what the lies are. <laughs> I don't know, whatever. Um, they were lies of nobody wants to hear what you have to say. Uh, you're harsh and you have no voice. And so when I finished doing my business for giving, they were like, this is what we're seeing. You want to deal with it? I was like, absolutely, that's good. Let's do this. And so... I renounced all the lies, and then I said, Lord, what is the truth? Like, how do you see me? And he said, I have created you black and white for a reason. 
I have called you to speak the truth. How others receive it is not your responsibility. See, I had taken on the weight of them not, t- not doing what the Lord had showed them. You know, the, 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 the healing process of all the residents, like all of that I had taken on and I had felt like I had failed the Lord. And he said, no, no, that's not your job. He said, I called you to, t- to speak the truth. The rest is my job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So good. So, so good. Um, side note, that it is a dry community now. As of September of 2023, the Lord has made it a dry community. So that was very exciting. That is the essence of freedom prayer. It's coming together in community to hear from the Lord and to allow him to work on whatever it is he puts his finger on. There are several different areas that freedom prayer operates in, such as woundings, entanglements, sin, ungodly beliefs, and the demonic. Um, But today, I really want to talk to you about ungodly beliefs. They're the lies that we believe about ourselves, God, and others that keep us from getting freedom and having a closer relationship with Jesus. They tend to show up in each of the other categories, um, and more often than not, they're attached to our identity. See, Satan knows the call that God has put on your life, and his goal is to keep you from understanding who you are meant to be. Because if he can keep you from understanding who you're meant to be, he can keep you from doing what you're called to do. Does that make sense? If he's keeping you from being who you're supposed to be, he's going to keep you from doing what you're supposed to do. That's his plan. Okay? As a child of God, the enemy has no authority over you. Luke 10, 19 says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Right? The only power he has over our life is what we give him. It's the lies that we believe. He asks permission to run our lives, and we give it to him by believing his deceptions. Does that make sense? Okay, perfect. Um, I'm not good enough. God just wants to punish me. I'm a failure. I'm an addict. These lies become our identity, but it's a false identity. We believe the lies, and then we become what we believe. The enemy wants to limit and narrow our thinking so that we can't see anything new. So we continue to tell ourselves why things cannot or will not work. Like, this is just how I am. I'm just an addict. He wants us to believe that we're stuck and there's no moving forward because this is just how things are. I've always been this way. He wants us to stay focused on our false identities. It's like the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. You know, you buy a red car and then all of a sudden you see red cars everywhere, right? It's, is it that there's that many more car, red cars on the road? Or is it that you're focused on red cars and now you're seeing them, right? Is it the truth or is it your actual perception of the truth, right? Is it really who we are or is it just what we perceive we are or what we are told we were? If your identity is rejection, you're going to keep finding yourself in situations where you feel rejected. Why? Because you know it's coming, you know, you're, you're trying to prepare yourself. You're on the lookout so that, that when it comes, it's not going to hurt as much. But you're looking for it. If your identity is fear, you're going to try to control things to comp- cope with your anxiety and with your fears. 
If your identity is unworthiness, you will act like an unworthy person. It's really not all that, he's really not all that creative. He gives us, he gives us a lie to believe, and then he just keeps reinforcing the same lie over and over and over again. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. I have a short video. Meredith, will you show the video for me real quick? Failures. That makes me laugh every time I watch it. (laughs) I I think it's meant more for relationship, but... That's how we are. Let's be honest. We all have a nail. It's either in our back or our forehead or our shoulder. Like, we've all got a nail somewhere. (laughs) We don't always want to talk about the nail. Um, We just want to complain or pretend that it's not there or ask God to heal whatever our issues are, our achy head and our snagged sweaters. But our issues are just symptoms, right? We either don't want to identify the nail or we can't actually see it for ourselves. This is where community comes in. I lived 49 years believing that whatever I said didn't matter and that I had no voice. It took three women less than an hour to help me identify it, release the lie, and hear the truth about me. Right? 49 years. He wants us to know who we are. He wants us to know how he sees us, and to know who he's called us to be. God wants to get to that nail. He wants to get to the root of the lie, pull it out, shine his light on it, and bring healing. He wants us in close relationship with him. So how do we get rid of these lies? This is where confession comes in. Um, often there is fear surrounding the word confession. So I want to take the fear out of it or try to today. Growing up, the Sunday school answer was that confession was just admitting I was sorry about whatever I did. But that's not what it is. In his book, Living Fearless, Jamie Winship defines confession as as telling God the truth about what you really believe about him, yourself, and others. He already knows. It's just telling God the truth. It's not, I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry I did it again. That's an apology. That's not going to bring repentance. It's confessing, Lord, I did this again. It's telling the truth about what you've done or what you've believed. The truth always sets you free. Hiding the truth always makes you a slave. If you won't tell the truth, you are in bondage to the lie and the deception and the rationalization. Don't apologize for your perceived reality. Tell the truth about it. That's confession. James 5.16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Wellness is connected to sharing our sins with one another. Confession is not telling your moral failure to somebody. When we confess, we're telling the truth about where we've deviated or moved away from what is true about God, ourselves, and others. Moral failures are a result of this deviation. Does that make sense? Okay. Most of us were told that our problem is that we do wrong things, but that's not the issue. The issue is that we believe wrong things. We believe lies. 
Let's look at the story of the prodigal son if you want to turn with me to Luke 15, verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me then my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. In this story, the father represents God. Now, we tend to look at the son's sin as being his wild living, but that's not where it started. He didn't believe his true identity as a son, and he believed the lie that there was something better in the world than what was, what was in his father's house. His wild living was a result of that lie. He didn't believe who he was or what his purpose was, so he was searching for something else. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he comes to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. The truth. Confession. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. A lie. Um, Make me one of like, like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and kissed him. Did you catch that? But while he was still off, the father was watching and waiting. He knew he was going to come back. He was anticipating his son's return. And before the son even had a chance to speak, the father ran to him and smothered him in affection. That's the father heart of God. That's how God responds to us. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And his father's response. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. He clothed him and took away his shame. Put a ring on his finger, which restored his position, and sandals on his feet, which restored his purpose. Bring the fatted calf and kill us, so let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's what God does when we come back. You know, when we admit our stuff and just come back. God's response to true confession is always grace and mercy. The goal of freedom prayer is to help individuals experience greater intimacy with God and live more fully in alignment with their true identity as beloved children of God. It is time set aside for you to hear from the Lord and to recognize how you hear from the Lord, whether it's scriptures or pictures or images or um, feelings. He wants to speak to you. 
He's like a radio station. You know, he's always broadcasting. He's always, you know, he's always speaking. Whether or not we turn on the radio or figure out what station it is, is up to us. So freedom prayer helps you figure out what the station is. Um, it's a powerful avenue for individuals to encounter the transformative presence of God in their lives. Now, I, I want to show you, kind. Of, I'm, I'm a very concrete, like, hands-on per thinker. Um, so I wanted to have, if I can have my four, pe- my four models come up. I want to show you kind of a little bit what it's, we need chairs. Oh, yes, thank you. Um, I want to show you a little bit. So the tricky thing in explaining freedom prayer is that it's always different. So I want to show you kind of generally what a session would sort of-ish look like, if that makes sense. But we can do it like in a horseshoe. So we're not awkwardly putting our backs to people. Okay. Whoever wants to sit wherever. So just pretend you're in the prayer room and you're all in a circle. So Robin is going to be our person being prayed over. Okay. Now, the, one, of the, one of my favorite things about Freedom Prayer is that long before Robin sits in this chair, these three people are praying for him and asking for the Lord to give them a word or a scripture or something to encourage him. Um, Linda is our lead. Um, she is the one who is going to be speaking the most throughout the session, just to keep it from being confusing. Um, the Lord is going to give her a roadmap of where the, the prayer, how the prayer needs to go. Um, is that everything? They're going to have to help me. I think that's everything. Okay. So Glenn is our second position. So he is Linda's wingman. He is going to be helping, uh, helping her along with the roadmap as well, but he's going to be kind of zoomed out a little bit. And he's, while she's looking at the obvious things and the Lord is showing her clearly, the Lord's going to be showing him the other things that are kind of not as obvious, but are keys to Robin's healing and and whatever it is the Lord wants to do. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, It is not uncommon for one to see us on our cell phones. I promise we're not on social media. Sometimes it's just the easiest way to look up scripture. Like I can tell you scripture. I cannot tell you where any of it is. So it is not uncommon to like quick look one up. Um, And the Lord is going to give Glenn um, some other words or guidance sometimes for Linda. And so we will pass notes Robin is welcome to see those notes at any point in time. Like, there's no secret. It's just, this is what the Lord's telling me. So, that makes sense, I think. Okay, hold on. All right. Now, Audrey is our third. She is also going to be praying and interceding. She's going to be covering the entire room in prayer, as well as Robin and our people. Um, and she's going to come, she's the one that's going to be taking notes. So when you leave your freedom prayer session, you have in black and white what the Lord has told you. So there's no like, I swear God told me. No, you know, actually it's right there. So that's going to be Audrey's job. And I have to tell you the coolest thing. So a year ago at Holy Spirit weekend, we had Lydia come and do deliverance and stuff. And so I had been, um, afterwards we figured out that fear and rejection were generational in my household. And we have tried, this was like the third or fourth time that I tried to get rid of it, but we didn't know it was generational until Lydia came. And so it had been a struggle. So even after that weekend, I was like, is it really gone? Like, cause you know, like, like I said, he gives you, you know, he gives you your lies, like fear would pop up and it was just kind of attacking from the outside. But I'm like, is it back? Um, 
Well, the cool thing about my session is it had nothing to do with any of that, but my person that was third at the, so I said, we all pray for you before you're gonna come in. At the end of the session, we're gonna share with you whatever it was the Lord brought. And so my third was sitting there and she goes, I have been confused this entire time because what the Lord told me has nothing to do with any of this. She's like, so it may be wrong. Take it for what it is. I was like, all right. She said, all I saw was this enormous banner that said deliverance and underneath it, it said fear. And I was like, no, that's spot on. <laughs> I was like, that is exactly what I needed to hear. So even though it had nothing to do with it, like that's the tenderness of God. He's like, oh, by the way, it's still right. You're true. So we are going to practice encountering the Lord this morning uh, by thinking about him and letting him tend to our hearts. Um, you all have, there's blank pieces of paper on the table, so you're going to want that a little bit later on. Um, but first, we're going to start practice, we're going to practice activating our spiritual eyes and our spiritual senses. Um, I want you to think of your mind as if it's three um, big screen TVs, Okay. We're gonna practice on this first screen. Um, I will tell you now that what we're doing is not spiritual, so there are no spiritual answers required. Um, first, I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to picture something to drink. Picture it, see it with your mind's eye, like really look at it, study it, get a, picture, get a good picture of it. Okay, open your eyes. Does anybody want to share what they saw? Hi. No, just kidding. Uh, <laughs> a bottle of Coke with the Coca-Cola mm -hmm. in the front, and it was opened in front of me. You know how it has greenish tint on the glass? Yes. So, Was it like on a table? Yes. Okay. Yes. What did your table look like? Oh, wow. Right? <laughs> Didn't you get to work for this one. <laughs> Hold on. Let me close yeah, my eyes. Yeah, go back to it. Go back to it. <laughs> Go back to it. It's still there. <laughs> I guess it looked like a round table like we're at. Okay. That's cool. Was it cold? Like, was there, like, beads of water coming off of it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, actually. Cool. All right. Thanks for no. the help. Sure, no problem. All right. <laughs> Does anybody else want to share? Go ahead. A tall, clear glass that had etchings on it. Mm. And it was clear like a salsa with lots of bubbles. And I think there were frozen blueberries on the inside. Nice. And it was on a TV table. And I imagined that it was crackling and fresh and, and refreshing. Um, and yeah? Yeah. Awesome. Who created this screen? <coughs> you get to answer on this part. Who created your screen? <gasps> right, exactly. So who wants the rights to it? God does. Fun fact, he already has it. Okay, so let's practice again. Again, this is not spiritual. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to think about and remember the best birthday party you ever had. Like, like run it through your mind like you're filming it. Okay, open your eyes. Does anybody want to describe it? Like, what made you love this birthday party? It was the first year I didn't have to have a birthday party with my sister, who was born on the same day, but she was older than I was. <laughs> That's awesome. And it was a bunch of neighborhood girls, and we had a pool in our backyard, and I, we had, I had my bathing suit on, and we slept out in the camper that night um, in my That's backyard. That's awesome. Very cool. 
What, um, like, if you had to pick, like, two overriding feelings or emotions that day, could you, could you identify those? Uh, definitely I was happy. Okay. Um, and um, I wasn't surprised because I planned the whole party myself, so it wasn't a surprise. <laughs> um, hmm. Happy, and it was a beautiful day, so I was glad that it was sunny. I love the sun. Yeah. Um, those are kind of the same, aren't they? Yeah, happy. Sorry. Thank you for sharing that. I was smiling and I had, and I was happy because I had got the haircut that I had wanted. Like my dad <laughs> let me get a haircut, which was like, whoa. And, um, and I'm wearing this long pink dress. Nice. That's awesome. Does anybody else want to share? Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Mine was my 18th birthday. And when you're in a large family, you get lost pretty quick. Uh, so it was 18th birthday. Usually my birthday is always forgotten. And it was just past my birthday, which just come by. Oh, was it your birthday last week? Oh, okay. So on my 18th birthday, my parents surprised me with a sewing machine, which I always oh, wow. wanted. And they gave me a sewing classes. And it made my it just made me happy. I never forgot that. That's amazing. And then uh, I would go downtown Hartford, and I would go to these sewing classes, and I made a dress that I actually wore for my graduation. <laughs> That's awesome. So that was like the most memorable day of my um, life yeah. was that birthday party gift that my parents did. So that meant, so cool. it just meant a lot to me. That's amazing. Thank you. Okay, again, who made the screen? Thank you. God is omnipotent and omnipresent. He owns time. So he has the power to go back into your timeline and pull up a memory or an event easily. Wouldn't it be like him to pull up a memory and go, I saw that happen. Let's replay that and let me speak some truth into that so you're not stuck there anymore. Screen three. Okay, so we're not going to do an activity for this one. Um, screen three is your senses and drives. So this is the voice that says, I'm hungry or I'm cold. Um, if you think about how powerful your senses are, if you're cold, you want to cover up and get warm. If you're hungry, you go and get something to eat. So that's, that's your third screen. Um, God knows how strong our drives are. That's why scripture is full of sensory driven language. And who wants to fill those drives? You guys were so good at this. Um, so now that we've got those three screens activated, we are going to get connected with our spiritual eyes and our spiritual ears. This is where the eyes of your heart can be enlightened. This, this part is spiritual. So I'm going to have you close your eyes, and I'm going to read something for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, and he leads me beside the still waters, and he restores my soul. Okay. Okay. You can open your eyes. Would anyone want to share what they saw or sensed or felt now that those screens are activated? Kara? As I was listening to you read the scripture with my eyes closed, I really I saw a stream. I saw green, green grass mm -hmm. along the stream, and the stream was very active. And on in the grass was a beautiful fawn, 
And I just sensed the presence of God. Um, what we just did is kind of like priming the pump and getting your screens activated and, and having you recognize what they are. But we're going to take um, the next few minutes to get our hearts and our minds connected to the Lord. You can feel free, I mean, there's not a whole lot of room, but you can feel free to move your chairs a little bit if you want to get like a little bit more comfortable for this part. Um, we want to encounter God in his word. I'm going to read some more scripture out loud and give you some prompts and things to ask the Lord, things to engage in it with him right now. Um, and you can use your paper if you need to jot down things. So if you close your eyes and coming off of what we just did in Psalm 23, the green pastures and the still waters, like bring yourself back to that picture. I want you to try to picture yourself as a sheep in the flock and get your spiritual eyes on the good shepherd. I'm going to speak some scripture out loud, and I want you to try and allow the Lord to use these screens to speak to you personally in whatever way he wants to hear. You can even tell him, God, I give you access to my whole mind and heart. John 10 says, Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for, for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice but they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find safe pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. When the wolf attacks the flock, then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I alone am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. 
just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. With your eyes still closed, can you see yourself in the safety of this flock guarded by the shepherd? Notice in that gated, protected place where you are in the flock. Are you with the other sheep? Or are you off on your own? Are you outside of the fence? Where are you in relation to the Good Shepherd? Are you close? Or are you far away? Just be honest with where you are because your mind knows I'm supposed to be here, but I'm actually way over here. So if you're not where you want to be, tell the Lord quietly where you want to be. It's the shepherd's response that when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. The good shepherd says, come, come as you are with all your imperfections. You are the one I want. And I am the only one who can give you the rest that your soul needs. You don't have to hide who you are because you're safe with me. rod and my staff they comfort and protect so that you can move freely in my pastures he will not reject turn you away or keep you at a distance he pulls you in The good shepherd gets us back on our feet when the stranger's voice has been speaking really loud from the fence. He's not in the pen, he's on the outside. The stranger is our enemy. He's a thief on the outside of the pen, on the outside of the good boundary lines. And his goal is to lure you away from the safety of the shepherd. He disguises his voice with many things so that you don't recognize that it's him, but it sounds familiar. Ask Jesus, Jesus, what is pulling on my heart? What is stranger saying that sounds familiar that's luring me away from you and gets me stuck? Some of the things the enemy will use to pull you away could look like fear, anxiety, deep pain and wounding. Maybe it's a burden that you've carried. Maybe it's an unanswered prayer. Disappointment. Doubt. Maybe it's shame that you've been walking in. Or maybe it's an unmet need 
of provision, identity, or protection that you have tried to fill separate and away from the Good Shepherd, and it's not working. Just let him show you. No matter what it is, keep your eyes on the Good Shepherd and ask him, Jesus, what lie am I believing about myself or you because of this thing that is pulling me away from you and your safe pastures? Those lies could look like, Jesus, I can't trust you. I'm not important. I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. It's my responsibility. It's all up to me. Or you don't care. Just let him show you. is the heart of a really good father to respond to his children when we cry out to him. Maybe that lie or that thing that's been pulling on your heart feels like a really big pit you can't get out of. Just ask, Jesus, can you pull me out? Can you set my feet on firm ground in your pasture? Just wait for his response if that's what's going on for you. With your eyes on the good shepherd, tell him because he already knows. Jesus, I've been listening to the stranger's voice. I've been listening to this lie for a really long time. And I don't want it anymore. I need the safety of your flock because I don't want to be lured away. Jesus, you say your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And this lie is robbing me of the rest that you offer. acknowledge, Jesus, that connection and closeness to you and your truth is the only way I will find freedom from this lie. It's the only thing that quiets the stranger's voice. We're going to ask the Good Shepherd some questions. As we do this, I want you to notice where you are. Are you by the shepherd? Are you far off, but you can see him? We want to make sure we have the eyes on him. As we ask him these questions, it's usually the first thing that comes across your mind, the first thing that you feel, see, or sense. Jesus, when did the stranger's voice that speaks this lie become familiar and louder than yours? 
When was the first time? Jesus, can you join me in this moment where this lie got rooted? Can you show me where you were? Let him show you. He is omnipotent and omnipresent, so he holds the power to go back on your timeline and show you right where he was. Jesus, what did you feel or think about me in this moment? What is true about this? Tell him, Jesus, I renounce this lie. I don't want to believe it anymore. I give it over to you. Notice if you are able to give it over to him. This is your story, so you get to choose with Jesus what that looks like. You just don't want to hold it anymore. This is where you're unburdening your heart to lay that lie that heavy thing before him to receive his yoke and his burden that's light. Next, ask him, Jesus, what do you say is true? What is your truth over that lie? What is your truth over the burden that I have walked in? Because what I've said isn't working. It is the shepherd's heart to speak to his sheep. Remember, he said, my sheep know my voice. And he's going to speak right where you're at. He knows just how to access those screens in your mind. Let him speak truth over it. Again, this is the exchange. Jesus always has more to give back. Just tell him, Jesus, I receive this truth. Jesus, I declare I used to believe whatever lie today. Today I choose to receive your truth that we're just going to let that truth go from your head to your heart and sink into your spirit.
ask Jesus, what is your response to the stranger who tries to lure me away from you? The heart of our good father is not passively sitting by watching his kids get bullied. He has a response, so wait for it. Jesus, who do you say that I am? Quietly tell Jesus, Jesus, I receive that. Jesus when the stranger's voice is speaking loud when my lie that feels big what do you want me to do what is my game plan what do I do if I'm tempted to pick up that burden just get your eyes on him and let him show you because he is very creative That could look like getting back in these green pastures with the Lord, getting into his word, praying. Just let him show you. With your eyes on the good shepherd, tell him, thank you for speaking directly to my heart. Thank you for speaking my language and meeting me right where I'm at. He's the only God that allows his children to come needy without anything to offer. I will say that if there are things that hit a spot in your heart today, the Lord is showing you those things because he wants to partner with you. Here's what I know about our good father. He finishes what he starts. And he is the author and perfecter of your faith. He will not leave that undone. So just quietly tell him, Jesus, thank you for showing me this lie, for showing me what is pulling my heart away from you. I wasn't aware until I silenced my heart that that was there. And I believe you're going to finish what you started and that you're going to restore it. Just tell him thank you. Okay, you can open your eyes. If the Lord showed you things and you want some help unpacking those things, we are very soon going to have a way to, for you to sign up for Freedom Prayer where you can have some concentrated time with the Lord to continue to process what he showed you today. Um, I do have, we do have a list at Rockville Church as well that is going to be a, um, a resource for us too. So um, what you did today was legit business with the Lord. 
Your job today is to renew your mind in what is true and utilize the game plan of what he showed you. Stay close to him. Get back into your mind's eye, into those pastures with him. If you want to spend the whole time today in that pasture way over there, and Jesus is way over here, get back in that pasture and do business until you're together. So you can close that distance. The work of the cross is a lifetime process. It's not a one-stop. We have to keep going back. When you closed your eyes, were you surprised by where you were in the flock? Thanks for listening. That wraps up today's word. We are grateful you joined in. And if you would like to hear more or learn more about us, feel free to check things out over at newriverchurch.org. Thank you.